Good evening. My name's Lee Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here at Village 7, and thank you for joining with us on this Good Friday. Good Friday. Kind of a loaded term, isn't it? Good Friday. It's, it's somber. It's beautiful. It's, it's dark. It's, there's joy on the horizon. But it's also, yeah, very kind of, it's, it's a loaded term. And, uh, you know, I actually like the fusion of different opposites. I'm very intrigued by these different things. Intrigued by things that you wouldn't naturally put together or you just see how they operate with one another. And, uh, you know, we were only about a month out from, from college basketball, and I love watching the Cinderella teams go against the perennial favorites, right? You love seeing what happens there. Uh, I'm an extrovert. I love just being around introverts and just watching you, seeing how you operate, how you're wired. Uh, I love watching dog people around cats. It's just, that's one of my favorites. Uh, engineers and artists, that's another fun uh, social observation as well. Uh, and I, and I, I love cooking. Cooking is one of my favorite hobbies. And, and one of the things about that is you, you see the fusion of, of sweet and savory and spicy and acidic and how all those things kind of work together with one another. And I love getting to see how that all works. It's very interesting. And that's something that we see tonight. We see how the cross is both beautiful and ugly, how it's tragic and victorious. We see how it's joy and sorrow, it's just and it's unjust. So tonight, I want us to consider that. I want us to consider how, how these things are wedded all at the same time. Tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to turn to that now, you can. Uh, we're going to read that in just a second, but it's 1 Corinthians 1, 18. But before we read the word, let me pray for our time tonight. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak through it tonight, that you would penetrate our hearts. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. And we also thank you for the beauty of the cross and how those things are all, they all converge together. Speak, O oh Lord, your servants listen and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage tonight is, as I said, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. And if you know, if you, I'm only going to read verse 18, but if you want to uh, go ahead and just look at that passage as a whole um, throughout our time tonight, please do so. Look through it throughout 18 through 25. Um, but I will read this for us. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right, you can be seated. It's the shortest passage that you got to stand up for tonight. 
and get your workout in. The church at Corinth, we're, we're only, this is just a one-off tonight, so we're not going to do tons of background on this, but the church at Corinth was forgetting the gospel. The church at Corinth was forgetting the gospel, forgetting the power of the gospel and what the cross meant for, for them. Obviously, they are on the other side, on our side of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, but they were forgetting it. They were looking at they thought that wisdom and, and power and knowledge and notoriety would come from some kind of intellectual ascent and that you were to be able to find this somewhere. You'd be able to search this out, search out the wisdom, search out where to find truth. And Paul is reminding the church where wisdom comes from and not just wisdom, but power and beauty and truth. And it comes from the cross. Paul argues here that in reflecting upon the cross, we see where wisdom and folly, as he puts it in verse 18, where wisdom and folly or foolishness of people collide. Looking at the cross, does you see two different kinds of people. And here we see the word of the cross. We see the power of the cross. We focus on Jesus. And so tonight I want Jesus and the cross to be preeminent. I hope that you can set your minds and your hearts on Jesus tonight and on the cross. You know, we've experienced so much loss over the last several years. Loss as a society and in and, and our culture and even in this church, uh, I'm sure you get many emails that we get and you hear about the same thing about people that have passed in our church and it's, it's, it breaks our hearts. We're easily discouraged by our world and at the very same time, you can think about these last several years as I know that you have, the very same time of all these things transpiring, Jesus, the mission of the church, the kingdom of God has not faltered one bit. It's not faltered one bit. We are not off track. Jesus is not trying to figure out and scrambling for plan B and plan C or whatever it might be. We are exactly where God wants us. But we are in this paradigm of living kind of in the already but not yet. We're living in the beauty and the truth of, of what Jesus has done but not experiencing the full restoration, the full redemption of creation, which is why we still see loss, death, tragedy, heartbreak, dissension, slander. The list could keep on going. So we're going to look at a couple things tonight that will help us, that will, that will shape us, that will drive us while there's loss and there's hardship and there's brokenness, there's also beauty and truth and love to be found. And we find that converge on the cross. So tonight we're going to look at two things that have come straight out of verse 18 uh, tonight, our two points. The first being the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And secondly, the cross is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. So we'll start off first with the cross is folly 
to those who are perishing or foolishness to those who are perishing. In the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, was disturbing. <laughs> it's completely and utterly disturbing. He was mocked and beaten and betrayed. He was spit on. He was humiliated. He was stripped. He was forsaken and crucified. Psalm 22 prophetically portrays his execution, Jesus' execution. Here's a few excerpts from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Think about Psalm 22. In a moment, we're going to look briefly at Matthew 27, Matthew's account of Jesus' death, and you see the events take place. You see the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. You think about Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, the friends that left him, the people that wanted him crucified, that chose him to be crucified over a legitimate criminal. You think about even the actions of Pilate, The guards that stripped him and humiliated him and broke him. And one of the things that I think about on Good Friday pretty much every year that, that is hard to wrestle with, it's disturbing, it's kind of haunting, is one of the things that I've thought to myself over the years is if I had been there, would I have done the same thing? If I had been one of the friends or followers, if I had been a guard, if I had been an official, if I had been a scribe or a Pharisee at that time, how would I have responded? Would I have done those same things? Would I have hurled insults? Would I have left? Would I have denied? And friends, the answer to that question is without the grace of God, 100% yes. 100% yes. This is why the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And apart from the grace of God, the cross would still be folly. It would still be foolishness to every single person in this room if it were not for the grace of God. This is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 1 and saying that it is folly to those who are perishing. The cross is offensive. It, it threatens worldviews. It it, it causes us to, to think about our, our sin and, and our issues and our insecurities. It pushes us to talk about our need. And I don't know if you've read any headlines lately or listened to any politicians or seen a social media battle lately, but we don't like to talk about our neediness. We like to be self-sufficient. We like to be intelligent well-spoken, we like to have all our, of our thoughts together. And especially when we are met with opposition. And how did Jesus respond when he met the greatest opposition in the history of the world? When he met, when he was utterly isolated and alone, 
Can we look at him, look at Jesus, and admire how he responded in those last 24 hours? You see, we want to kind of have a shouting contest. We want to try to, to press the truth into people to make sure that we are seen in the right light. Jesus, if anybody could have done that, Jesus could have done that. He would have been justified in defending every action that he had ever done, anything he'd ever said, his status, his notoriety, his pedigree, unrivaled. How did Jesus respond? Again, a prophetic text we have from Isaiah 53, a few excerpts from that. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. I want to ask kind of a challenging question tonight. For those of you, and I imagine it's many in this room that have had spiritual conversations with people before that don't know Jesus or, or searching in some sense. Any of the people in the room that that applies to? Is the cross offensive or are you offensive? Is the cross offensive or are you offensive? Am I offensive? You see how Jesus responds to all of the, the horror of this scene of the last 24 hours. And the cross is what is offensive, not Jesus. The cross offends because it says self-sufficiency is impossible. Every single one of us needed 100% of Jesus' help. 100% of Jesus' help. We needed the death of God's own son, Jesus Christ. And if we think that, we, that it's the gospel, it's Jesus' death plus anything, then we don't actually have the gospel. We don't actually have the truth of what Jesus did in that hard day and night. And until the Holy Spirit softens one's heart and convicts us of sin, we should be appalled at what took place. We should be appalled at, at being weak and being that powerless. Now, there may be some in here today that are having a hard time thinking about this idea of being needy or, or not being self-sufficient or having to rely upon Jesus 100% or even just the idea of the preeminence of the cross. This is maybe not registering with you very well. And I want to challenge us tonight to look again at the cross. Will you see Jesus dying? You see the anguish of being forsaken by the Father and bearing the wrath of judgment that was meant for us. Meant for us. Can you see his meekness? And maybe like the centurion that we'll read in just a second, that saw Jesus, who knows all the things that he saw over the, that 24 hours, over those several days, what he knew about Jesus. And he saw Jesus breathe his last breath, the rock split, and the centurion looked, and he said, surely this is the Son of God. 
struck by his divinity, struck, I imagine, by his love. The cross, it's folly to those that are perishing. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. It's heresy. Secondly, the cross is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. It's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Now, it's pretty common knowledge that the cross being crucified was a form of execution at this time. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if, uh, if someone saw a picture of a cross before Jesus' death and, or, or a sculpture of a cross before Jesus' death, what, what their minds might, might jump to. Maybe they would think about an execution that they had seen at some point. Or maybe they would think about, I don't know, maybe it was some, somewhat of a shame motivator. Like you see this cross or you remember an execution and you think, I'm going to make sure I don't do this, that, and the other so that I don't end up on one of those. And probably not a ton different for us when we think about other forms of execution that have happened over the last 2,000 years. If you see a, a noose or a guillotine or, you know, the electric chair or lethal injection or something like that. So why is this, why is the cross the only cherished form of execution? Why is there a cross behind me? Yeah, you know, I've worn a, a cross necklace for the last 20 years of my life. Why? Why cross necklace? I don't know, maybe some of you guys have a necklace with a guillotine on it or something like that, but <laughs> if you do, it's, let's, I'm glad you're here, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> the cross was a sign of weakness. The cross was a, was, was, was a way to execute somebody. Why do we elevate the cross? And Paul's continuing to advocate for that as well because that was some of the common thought of that time that this is not what our Savior was supposed to do. This was not what he was supposed to look like. This was not how he was supposed to die. Certainly not like that in humiliation and alone and weak. No armies, no battles, no victory. So they thought. But it's what the cross accomplishes it's what the cross accomplishes because the word of the cross is power to those who are being saved. It's power to those who are being saved. The word of the cross, that's, if you see that in verse 18, look down. For the word of the cross. Okay, the Greek word there for the word of the cross is the Greek word logos. As in you know, we have in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So it was the Word, it was the decree, it was the embodiment, it was the teachings, the message. It was God took on flesh, it was Jesus, second person of the Trinity. It's the Christ of the cross, the power of God to us who are being saved. But let's look at Matthew. If you, have a, if you have your Bible, again, turn to Matthew 27. I want us to see some of the narrative here to see what is this power. If we see the word of the cross, the power 
of the cross? What is this power? What actually took place in Jesus' death? Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, we'll go through 54. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Look at verse 50, 51. In verse 51, we see one of the pictures of the power of the cross. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. The tombs were opened. It was resurrection. Even on Good Friday, the curtain was torn in two. The curtain in the temple was a barrier between the people of God and the presence of God. And so the high priest once a year could go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. He, he would go in on Yom Kippur. But other than that, there was, a, the, the, there was a, the curtain between the people of God and the presence of God. There was a divider. We couldn't enter into the presence of God. And so when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, last breath and the Rocks were split and the curtain was torn in two. God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, signifying that God would make his presence known with man and be with us. And we would see that full manifestation on Pentecost in Acts. That is what was accomplished by Jesus' death, is that we would have access to God. We'd have access to God. There would no longer be as... Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility. Christ broke that barrier down, atoning for our sins. Now, the reason why there was a barrier is because God was holy and we are not. We couldn't be in God's presence. The people of God couldn't be in his presence because we were not holy. We are not holy. And so what also transpired through Jesus' death, Jesus took our shame. Jesus took our, our sin. Jesus took our guilt, the punishment for all those things. He paid for it once and for all. We just sung about that. Jesus paid it all on the cross. And for those of us who have faith in him, in his life, death, and resurrection, we, it's called the great exchange, we receive his perfect record. Jesus never committed a sin, never lied, never slandered. Perfect record applied to us 
the imputed righteousness that we receive from Jesus Christ on the cross. And so that we, although sinful, because of the grace of God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, receive all the benefits of the holiness of Jesus Christ, the righteous record, relationship with God, life eternal. He died in our place. The punishment for our sin is what he endured in his death on the cross. That was our execution. And by grace through faith, we receive that record. And why did he do this? This evening, Good Friday, it's somber. We mourn the death of our Savior. But why did he do this? It was his love. We just sung it. It was his love that held him there. Hebrews 12, for the joy that set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, for the joy that was set before Jesus Christ, he endured the cross for you. He, enjoyed, he endured the cross for you. Joy. Sometimes my girls, uh, Stevie and Ellie Grace, sitting right over there. <laughs> Sometimes uh, they'll, I'll come up to them and I'll say, girls, how much does your daddy love you? I'll say, this much? And they'll go, no, 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 no. And I'll say, this much? And they'll say, no, 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 no. I'll say, how about this much? I'll say, daddy, you love us this much. That's how much I love you. It's a picture that we have. Not just a picture of Jesus being stretched out on the cross that is a perfect picture of his love for us, but it's not just about the death on the cross. It's what the death accomplishes. It's what the death signifies. It's what the death has done. It's made a way for us to have access to him. It's paid for the sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cross is the love of God. The cross is the power of God. My friend uh, gave me this book a couple years ago. It's called My Heart Cries Out uh, by Paul Tripp, who's pastor and author, and it's Gospel Meditations for Everyday Life. And uh, it, it's really beautiful, so they're kind of poems and he wrote one in here called Black Friday. I wanted to read it for you. There was only one Black Friday. It was not the day after Thanksgiving. It was not a day when self-oriented consumers bumped into, climbed over, pushed into, screamed at, and hated the other consumers who were in their way. No, all the action of the one Black Friday was on a hill of death outside the city where three souls hung on crosses, two criminals and the Messiah, Christ doing what he came to do and what the world was desperate for. That Friday, the world went dark. The father turned his back, graves opened and the veil ripped in two. The son carried the father's anger. Death was offered so life could be given. Darkness fell so light would shine. Payment made, freedom given, redemption accomplished. There was only one Black Friday, no need to shop anymore for a savior. 
brothers and sisters, the cross is death in life. The cross is ugly and beautiful. It is unjust and just. It is tragic and victorious. It is joy and sorrow. And to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by what transpired over 2,000 years ago. Lord, we, we come before you and ask that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would meditate, that we would reflect. Yes, that we would grieve and we would mourn, but at the same time, we would not grieve as those without hope because your son, Jesus Christ, came and died so that we might live. Lord, will you instill that truth in us tonight? And as we reflect upon this over the next several days, before we celebrate on Sunday, Lord, soften our hearts, join us together, and help us to be a people who look to you, the power of the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.